Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I think it's time to take a break from all this trade action and discuss Kevin Durant going after Ethan Strauss in a press conference for the next 45 minutes. What do you think? Is that, I think that's more interesting to our listeners, right? I actually think it would be more interesting to some of them, but <laughs> but no, I, hope I mean, not. Th- I hope so not. I think we should put a little context around around what happened today. So my thought had been that we would see a quiet Wednesday, you know, the day before the deadline's always on a Thursday, that we'd see a quiet day and that things would ratchet up and get crazy. There were some things that we you know, we knew were kind of must-do type deals, and some of those things did happen today. And the morning part of it broadly fit that. And then I think it was like, I don't know, was it like four or five Pacific? All hell broke loose. But then there was a little bit before that. But like, this day became so much more complicated and fascinating than I anticipated oh yeah we are now at six deals today i'm sorry seven deals today alone since we last recorded two of your least likely teams to make a trade made one phoenix and detroit one of my least likely teams milwaukee made a trade (laughs) milwaukee and detroit made a trade there are two (laughs) two of our least likely teams traded with each other so we're trying to think about where we wanted to start here what's the most interesting you said it's the washington stuff Uh, why do you think that's the the most interesting to you i guess we can start there because it runs directly against what Grunfeld and Leonsis had said earlier in this process, possibly activated by what happened to John Wall, which we talked about on, on yesterday's podcast, but also because we don't exactly know. I mean, there's been some public pronouncements, but we don't exactly know if this will have a greater import, whereas I would say the other big deal would be what Sacramento did slash the Harris of Bards trade, because that all runs together. And there there is significance there, but I don't think that there are other... I, I think those moves kind of speak for themselves. And so I'm just interested in and what happens with the Wizards moving forward and the identity of this team. They're actually lucky that it just so happened that John Wall had this infection and they had to do this procedure on him and then they discovered that his Achilles was torn, which I, I think that all happened yesterday, it sounded like, or if not yesterday, pretty darn close to before that. They didn't even know his Achilles was torn until doing this other procedure. So they could have found that out three days from now and been SOL as far as being able to make these moves. I'm impressed that they did do this with Porter. I still think they should have been even more aggressive with guys like Ariza, who they're supposedly going to keep jeff green they supposedly want to keep it and re-sign those guys they now have more financial flexibility to do that for next year but the first deal that they made one that came out of nowhere first there was a tweet saying the wizards are being very aggressive with Otto porter and then 20 minutes later they agreed on a trade with the bulls Otto porter making 26 million this year to the chicago bulls for bobby portis who will be a restricted free agent this offseason in his fourth year making 2.5 million and Jabari Parker making an even $20 million with a $20 million team option that nearly certainly will be declined next year. I actually want to start, uh, I, I guess, we, no, I don't want to start with Chicago. We'll, we'll talk about this from the Wizards standpoint. What does this do for them financially this year and going forward? Sorry for that bump. That was the cat running into the microphone. It, it fundamentally transforms them from being this over-the-cap kind of, you know, locked-in team. Uh, Over-the-tax, you mean. Over-the-tax, right? sorry, that's yeah. what I said. Thank you over the tax locked in team to a, te- to a franchise that has more flexibility. Now you could say that flexibility will come with being a worse, a worse team and all of those sorts of things. But financially now with this in conjunction with the Marquise Morris trade, they're under the tax for this season. That not only means that they don't have to pay that money. They also get the, you know, the share of it that non-tax paying teams get. It's not, and we'll see exactly where that bill comes out to. I mean, OKC is going to have, looks like they're going to have a huge one. The Warriors will have a sizable one, but then there aren't as many teams because of some of the ducking that's been going on. But then also the rough numbers for next year, I have it that if you, so basically this doesn't count any of their restricted free agents. It's just spending power. They will have 42 and a half million to spend while staying under the tax. Now, if they 
re-sign Ariza, if they re-sign Sadoransky, Bobby Portis, that thins that number significantly. But reasonably speaking, I think they should be able to stay under for next year as well. And then that doesn't even include doing anything like a stretch or a trade with Jan Mahinmi, who expires after the 1920 season. So barring the unforeseen, and this is Washington, so the unforeseen can definitely happen, it looks like they are not going to be a tax team in the near term, despite John Wall having this just incredible contract. I mean, he's making over the next four years, and the number could actually go up if the cap estimate goes up because it's tied to the cap. But as of now, the estimate is that John Wall will make about $171 million over the next four seasons. Yeah, and you throw in their draft pick as well that they would have to sign into that $42 million. But, you know, the, I mean, I, I wish they'd steered into the skid a little bit more and tried to improve a, their draft pick. We'll see where that ends up. It would make a ton of sense for them to move Ariza at this point. I mean, his, his bird rights are not insignificant, uh, about $18 million. So they could stay over the cap and try to bring him back. Doesn't feel to me like he'd want to stay there unless they really come with the biggest offer. Portis to me is kind of, you know, a backup power forward. Parker, it'd be interesting to see what he can provide this year. This is a team that probably needs a little bit more creation. We've said that about the Bulls, though. The Bulls were one of the worst offenses in the NBA, and he still didn't really succeed there. So I do think that, and the Wiz also get that 2023 Chicago second rounder, which they sorely need because uh, they have been throwing those around like candy lately in terms of their tax avoidance. So I don't know, other than just saving Ted Leonsis some money for next year, that this makes them any better on the court. It probably makes them, well, you know, it, it actually may make them better on the court next year because they have a lot of these some of whom they'll have to resign of course but they have a lot of these guys who are are wing size i don't know that porter was providing that much i mean he's coming off the bench a, a lot recently compared to what some of the other guys were doing he also has some concerns about his hip going forward so maybe you could say the ability to use the full mid level possibly use cap space if they let some of these free agents go bring back a guy like sataransky maybe even extend sataransky that probably becomes more likely now that they could do that after this trade might make them a little better on the floor next year i think might get dwight howard back they could bring back thomas bryant as well so maybe that makes them a better team the next year because if you think they can bring back a lot of these guys who are free agents as opposed to just having the 20 and you know, they just wouldn't have had as much depth with porter and so having being able to use that 27 million on three or four guys when you've already got so much locked up in wall that you just need to get some more players who can contribute on this team maybe it makes them a little bit better next year we'll see who they end up getting obviously and so I, I think they did a pretty good job here. We thought that it might be Sacramento. We'll talk about that in a moment. So I, I mean, I guess I like this pretty well for the Wizards. What do you What do you think ultimately? Otto Porter is a talented player, and he has you know career now a forty percent three point shooter shooting. You know he was forty three, forty four percent over the last couple of years. A player who looks like he could be better defensively than he is. He's not as bad as the the long time viral clip of him just completely losing a Chicago Bull who cut around him. Like he's not that bad but he's also not as good as as you know he's not a dominant you know maybe a slight positive maybe a slight negative that's kind of where i am with auto porter defensively but not like the guy who's you're going to put on the other team's best player so that type of guy a dependent talent but a useful one is most valuable on a team where he can be a low option and have talented teammates the the archetype here might be harrison barnes on the warriors teams before he you know went to the dallas mavericks as as a free agent the washington wizards with john wall out are not that team they don't have the guys to create the shots you know beal can do some of that of course but they don't they're not good enough to use auto porter properly so that that i think getting getting out of his money it's a lot of money for the long term wasn't going to move the needle enough for them and that exact same logic is why i really dislike this move for the chicago bulls yeah my initial reaction was this makes sense for both teams and then i became more in your line of thinking the more i thought about the deal my initial reason for liking it was the Bulls may have had the worst small forwards in the NBA this year, and Otto Porter just solidifies that position. They didn't, I mean, I was not a Chandler Hutchison believer. You know, he just wasn't taking, he was taking like one three per 36 minutes or something like that. You know, just not even close to right. He's already 22 as well. Flash some skills every now and then. He's actually somewhat of a similar player and build to, to Porter. When Porter first came out, Porter was more ballyhooed, obviously, as a number three pick and what was considered a bad draft at the time. But Porter is just such an upgrade to just solidify 
occupy that spot give at least some decent off-ball defense as limited as you thought his one-on-one defense is it's still way better than what they've been getting at that position porters to me was not a big part of their future he's you know kind of a four million dollar a year backup gunner really bad defensive player doesn't have the versatility to play center too small to guard on the perimeter or i'm sorry too small to play center too slow to guard on the perimeter so i don't view him as a big loss obviously jabari was a relative nothing and it also recognized that the bulls were unlikely to get any free agents so they fill a big hole but the question is what is filling that big hole get them and that's what i think you're starting to lean towards here it is because chicago doesn't have great guys at creating shots for other people they're also not a particularly you know deep team or a you know somewhere where porter can slide in they have some some interesting players they have some guys that i like and also if you want to talk about defensive identity that now becomes a problem because if you're intending to start him with lowry markinen then somebody's going to have to guard those best guys Otto porter's not particularly adept at it and if if chicago was a you know a developing team if they were looking three and four years out that's not a problem you don't worry about those sorts of first world problems if you're going to be bad you know we don't talk about the like atlanta hawks let's say or the phoenix suns you know their flaws in this sort of way because it doesn't matter they're not at that point in the process but chicago with their overall spending now that's more of the way it looks like they're thinking about themselves and yes there is the the pragmatism of we're not going to be a free agent destination but you're committing a lot of money a lot of resources into this that those resources don't have to be into free agents to make you better that could be taking on money to get future assets there are a lot of different ways maybe undervalued players all sorts of things like that and porter he doesn't help you enough to he he's not a particularly strong floor raiser to me he's and he's not a particularly strong ceiling raiser this is why i've never been the biggest auto porter fan so he helps them but he doesn't make them like a locked in playoff team even if it does like they would be one of those you know six seven eight in the east and get summarily walloped in the first round all those sorts of things and so i celebrated the honesty of the clippers last night and knowing where they were and working within that and while this is not you know as devastating a move in any way as the clippers move is i I think i used the word that was a masterstroke in my piece for the athletic it's not like that but it, it shows a lack of recognition of where they are as a franchise that parallels in some ways with the decision they made with jabari parker instead of going with draft picks or anything else yeah now what is the alternative of what they did and basically punting on 28 million in cap space each of the next two years is about where they are by the way porter has a had a 15 percent trade bonus but it will not get paid off because he's actually making more than the max this year remember he signed for the max last year got the five percent raises and that was more than the cap went up so he's making more than the max so his trade bonus doesn't pay anything up whether he wanted to waive it or not and it remains to be seen whether having him is a better use than what they could have done this offseason whether that's continuing to build assets which they kind of elected to do last year while they were actively taking this year they were supposedly not taking anymore they they went for jerry parker instead but they ended up being just as awful if not more so they're probably worse this year by quite a significant margin than last year in an overall sense and so the alternative might have been trying to sign some other players maybe you go the restricted free agent route this offseason get a player who has a little more upside than board i mean that's that's the the other issue here too is just a, going for a player with more upside because and they've got to me this team is zach levine larry markin and wendell carter and you know chris dunn has basically shown himself to be a backup point guard at best this year so i i don't think that they've solved the problem at point guard they, they definitely need more at point guard if they wanted to say hey we're going to try and improve as much as we can this offseason maybe the, they would have been better off throwing some money at a point guard than porter now at least porter only has two years left a, a point guard you to get him to come to chicago might have had to throw in a throw in a four-year deal for a guy who's you know late 20s you're eric bledsoe or you know jeff teague if he opted out that kind of a guy they will still have about 15 million with which to work that actually may be enough there where you can still take on some bad money potentially and still play that asset game to some degree and another reason why you could say this is good is we've talked a lot about how these bad teams need at least a competent point guard play to at least see whether these guys are any good well they haven't really gotten that from chris dunn but then also playing a shooting guard on defense at the three all the time not really having anyone at the three who could knock down shots maybe you can say 
that Porter just provides more stability, allows these young guys to grow and really see what you have. Because that's been the big disappointment is that these young guys just have not been good enough. Levine had some flashes early. Markinen has had some flashes. Carter's had some flashes. But you don't see the type of foundational star in that group. And so ultimately, I think whether it's a restricted free agent offer sheet, whether it's taking on more draft, uh, more salary for draft picks to eventually get more bites at the apple for uh, really good players, Porter just doesn't raise the ceiling of this group and they still need to be in asset accumulation mode. This kind of smacks to me a little bit of, hey, you know what? We tanked for one year. We weren't supposed to be this bad this year. Now we are again. Maybe we can blame that in the injuries. But hey, if we're this bad again next year, we got big problems. And, you know, that's kind of what this is. This seems a little bit job preservation-y to me. It does, and considering it's Garpax, that is somewhat notable. And I want to talk a little bit about how the Porter signing affects, or the Porter acquisition affects the Bulls in 2020-21. So that's, you know, not next season, but the season after that. That's the year that Chris Dunn is restricted. He has a $16 million cap hold. If you count that Porter salary, and then I I gave them the third overall pick, just kind of, you know, roughing, just a rough estimate, then they would have about $21 million in space. But remember, that $21 million doesn't include anything for their 2020 first-round pick or any signings. Said they have, you know, they have... 15 million, you know, like 15, 20 million in space this year. And so if they're for, for the 2019, 20 season, so yeah, they're, they're out of the per, cap space game for the next two years, basically, for the next two years. Saying. And yeah. yeah, basically, and maybe they make a decision on Chris Dunn. Maybe, you know, they could, they could clear space that way. They could, they could open it up, but that's a long time. And yes, how the hell are they going to get a point guard? Like, that's if, a great if you question. Be a better team. Like they're not going to have much. And, and remember if they draft somebody, let's say, let's say they, they draft somebody this, this year, there's going to take time. You know that, yeah. and and we don't know if they see point guard as as big a need as we do. Like they right. could draft another forward because Otto Porter. You know, I see him as best position as being at the four. They have Chandler Hutchinson, so they can do some of that sliding guys around. Though they have a lot of resources in Larry Market and Wendell Carter, so maybe they wouldn't do the thing that everybody else is doing of sliding everybody down a position for crunch time and all that kind of stuff. But if they don't, if they see Chris Dunn as as the answer for at least one more year, then this all gets pushed even further down the road and yeah that gets closer to when some of their bad contracts expire and all that but they're they're way more locked in i think than some people think yeah they damn well better hope that levine markinen and carter is like a a great core and we just haven't seen that for them yet like those guys are gonna have to really really develop they are very much reliant on those guys at, at this point in time and this is not a point guard heavy draft either so yeah you, you really wonder i mean maybe there's a trade to be made at some point for a point guard but all right, we got a ton more to get to here. But that was a really interesting one, I think, in terms of just the overall direction of both teams. No such problems figuring out the direction you should go for Valentine's Day. However, can't go wrong with Sherry's Berries. Their signature dipped Valentine's strawberries dipped in milk, dark, or white chocolatey goodness for any discerning palate. Topped with decadent chocolate chips and heart and glitter sprinkles, your Valentine will fall in love with every bite. These things are massive. They're the perfect companion to a candle at dinner, a bouquet of flowers, a, a night on the town and you can ship them anywhere nationally they always arrive fresh they have 100 percent guaranteed they've been a sponsor around valentine's day for quite a few years now my wife is always like oh one of those sherry's berries can i get here she looks forward to them and so if it's a surprise she'll probably like them even more then you could add a dozen red roses for just 1999 more off the original 1999 plus shipping and handling of those sherry's berries to begin with the way to get started with them go to berries.com click on the microphone enter that familiar cap space code at checkout that's berries.com b-e-r-r-i-e-s Dot com click on the microphone enter that cap space code and let them know that you came from us so washington will, will continue with their business here they moved markeith morris along with a 2023 second round pick which eliminated all of their own second round picks through 2023 but they did get that bulls pick back in the porter trade the, the two teams that really seem to have valued second round picks uh in a pretty limited manner which is interesting because they got thomas sadaransky with the second round pick uh, who's been, been a really good player for them but Nonetheless, they moved Markeith Morris for Wesley Johnson at the Pels. Morris making $8.6 million, Johnson $6.1 million, and that now has gotten the Washington Wizards out of the luxury tax, saving them quite a bit of money. Now they can get that tax distribution as well. So they save, I think it's at least $5 million by getting out of it, if not more. When you're that close to the tax, it makes such financial sense. But I'm surprised. I mean, I even talked to one executive today who's 
said he knew of teams that were interested in Morris I mean now you know you never know with this kind of stuff especially when it's not someone who's directly involved but I said yeah there are teams that are interested in Morris and instead the Wizards had to give up a second round pick to move him and basically save about two million in salary but this is a guy who can actually play whereas I mean he's injured right now but he can actually play whereas Wes Johnson can't really at this point in his career so I was surprised at the value here I would have thought they could get something for him maybe it's also reducing salary that that made it so difficult but uh, and maybe there just wasn't as much of an interest in Markeith because it's unclear when he's gonna be able to come back from that neck issue where we had talked about he might be cleared for contact soon but you know certainly before the all-star break it's unlikely to happen for him are you, are you in agreement with me that you're surprised they had to pay something to get off of uh, Morris's salary a little bit especially because with the move that we talked about before without a porter I think Washington could have been more amenable to taking on some 1920 salary like they could have structured the this in a different way and you know because there aren't that many guys who are it was a tough needle thread who are expiring and making about the right amount of money where it's a legal trade but also washington gets all the way under and you know if they had been having these discussions on auto porter they could have had a pretty solid idea of where they needed to get to and that's a small group and new orleans made this deal on their terms you know they treated this as a salary dump and washington was willing to accept that so my instinct is that grunfeld put and this could come from ownership of course put a constraint that they couldn't take salary after this year beyond the season and that narrowed the field and made washington an intuitive fit because of the guy they had that made the right amount of money that wasn't playing there is no opportunity cost really for the pelicans in this even if they don't make a lot of other big deals they just have plenty of space under the tax and from their perspective part of the reason i really like this deal for washington for new orleans sorry is they effectively bought a future second round pick for about a million dollars. I think it's a little bit less than that is the difference between Johnson and Markeith prorated for the portion of the year that remains. Right. And this is Washington's 2023 second rounder unprotected. They might be awful. Like there is a distinct chance. Like there's a dividing line as of right now between the 15, the top 15 picks in the second and the bottom. It's very possible, if not probable, that this is going to be in the top 15, if not the top 10. So yeah. buying that for a million dollars, that that doesn't have any other like real cost to them you know doesn't hurt their ability to make any other moves yeah sign me up yeah i mean brad beal is only under contract through 2021 and has already stated his desire uh, not publicly but it's been out there already that he will intends to leave at the conclusion of that contract if not sooner see i i really struggle to see i mean john wall that 23 season he's gonna be making 47 million and that is uh looking like it's gonna be pretty darn dead money uh going forward uh, unfortunately so i mean and that's gonna to be at least a third of the cap that john wall will be making even as the cap goes up to a projected 130 million at that time and obviously that's you know way out so we don't know exactly what what that number is so yeah i and especially when we see these teams who yeah okay they move porter to get a little less expensive but they're still these teams that are not willing to actually accept that they have to rebuild apparently that's a, a contract that you sign when you uh, join the southeast division unless you're the atlanta hawks so yeah i think they're pretty damn good bet to be back that year and new orleans maybe there's some hope that they could move morris again here really quickly probably not though especially with them not healthy to play there's probably some other options in that price range you know, there's probably teams that would rather have jermichael green ironic that washington ultimately had to pay money to get off of marquee morris's salary when the whole reason they traded for him and he was lauded as this really reasonable starter type of player but he had fallen off quite a bit in the last couple of years Let's do this one quickly here. The Pistons swapping Stanley Johnson for Thon Maker, who had requested a trade after really being out of the rotation. Thon Maker has a year more to go on his rookie contract than Johnson. Johnson will be a restricted free agent this offseason. The P- Pistons didn't have a ton of financial flexibility to re-sign him. Perhaps Johnson will provide a little bit of insurance, although, you know, perhaps not very reliable. We'll see whether he can shoot the ball better. He should get more open looks in Milwaukee, but, you know, he's been basically a 30% or below three-point shooter his whole career. What did you think of this one quickly here? I don't think we need to spend that much time on it. This looks like a functional salary dump, like a more plausible one for the Milwaukee Bucks Thon was owed 3.6 million next year they had picked up that option so that was that was on the books Stanley Johnson has a you know he, he is a restricted free agent but in order to make him restricted you have to give him a 4.5 million dollar qualifying offer and that is too much money as of right now for Stanley Johnson he could live up to that maybe and he has this big cap hold the cap hold might matter to the Bucks depending on how this offseason goes I'm sure they'd like to retain Chris Milton and Eric Bledsoe and then not have to deal with that but now they don't have to pay Thon 
on 3.6 million for next year. If that's the way Milwaukee saw it, I am disappointed from a personal level. I think Thon could have been a nice fit for where they're going. Budenholzer's approach to big men offense is in line with Thon's skill set, so that was encouraging. And while he is a terrible defensive rebounder has been awful his entire career maybe he could improve on some of those elements and that's it's disappointing I liked his fit there and now he's going to be in Detroit where Dwayne Casey has you know he's the guy that originally encouraged Valanciunas to shoot so there are elements that he can do in this as well and maybe they'll give him a shot to be their backup center next year maybe help they even make a move with Andre Drummond at some point between now and then I doubt it but maybe they do and so happy Detroit has a you know has a lottery ticket type guy there that's they need they need guys with upside guys they can fit so sure yeah detroit just had absolutely nothing at the backup big man position john luer hasn't made a three-pointer since april of 2017 now obviously he missed a lot of last year but uh and he hasn't really been deployed that way either this season then zaza pachulia has missed time this year that actually really hurt them you know henry ellenson is not an nba player i think don actually has shown something in the playoffs of course the last two years and then i thought he played reasonably well when i saw him play this year although you know was not in the rotation he'd been surpassed by Ilyasova and then by dj wilson as well but i think you know he can help the pistons more than johnson was going to johnson wasn't in their plans and maybe maker doesn't work out you know he probably looks to be a backup big man, but i think he could be a serviceable backup he's gonna need to shoot a little bit better uh, on three-pointers you know you'd like him to get to at least to be above average there because he doesn't do a ton ton else offensively but it would be nice to to see him provide a, a switching element a more aggressive defensive element and yeah you mentioned the defensive rebound that's a problem but if he's playing next to Blake Griffin he's got another big there who can help out with that for the Bucks, I think Johnson fills a need although KP made the point in his trade grades that despite the fact that the Bucks, in theory don't have one guy who can match up that well with your Kawhi Leonard's or Kevin Durant for the Warriors that those guys haven't had great statistical outings i'm against milwaukee i'm not sure that that would continue in the playoffs necessarily so to just have johnson as a guy maybe he's barely even going to play but that you can just throw out there and say hey this guy is really strong he's got quick enough feet for his size we can just at least be sure this guy's not going to get completely overpowered in the post by big wings if we're just getting killed we can throw him out there for five or ten minutes and try and cool this guy off buy some time you know if chris milton gets into foul trouble or something i, I think that provides a valuable role i do think that perhaps there would have been more of a place for thon in the playoffs but mike budenholzer is just not going to go to any kind of a switching system just doesn't believe in it with them dropping the big back thon just isn't particularly valuable they've got brooke lopez to provide that stretch element at the five already they've got Ilyasova. they've got tj wilson so thon just wasn't going to be in the rotation i think there would have been a place for him if they wanted to do more switching they could have gone to some personnel like that if they really were struggling to stop guys in the playoffs but that's just not what they're going to do and uh, with that being the case, they moved on from him. Um, let's oh, oh, wait, I want to mention yeah, one ahead, more sorry. thing quickly. This compounds with the other move that the Pistons made with Reggie Bullock, which we talked about previously, that they're just thinning out their wings and there might not be a corresponding move. Maybe, and it's not like these guys have been huge for them or, you know, I mean, Bullock has, to me, been their best wing. But I don't know exactly what to make of what the Pistons are doing here because they're still in, in competition. Oh, and actually, before we move on, there's one other thing I wanted to mention before we've got you know how i like talking about the win column for bad teams because those are the ones that you can't make that you you know you can make up losses because these teams are bad right now the washington wizards are tied for the sixth fewest wins in the nba tied with the memphis grizzlies and the orlando magic at 22 so if they want to bottom out should they should they get in that conversation they can they can maybe not get past six but if atlanta keeps winning maybe they get in that so they're closer to this bottom than i think maybe some anticipated because they're still in the playoff race just like the Pistons are yes the playoff race it's like a baby race it still does count as a race even if nobody really knows they're competing this is like the opposite of that where they really think they're competing but they're actually not really moving at all <laughs> uh okay where, where do you want to go next here let's go to the single most surprising move of the day for me and that is the phoenix miami trade with tyler johnson and wayne ellington going to the phoenix suns in exchange for ryan anderson in the mock deadline i controlled the denver nuggets and tried to squeeze squeezed rod basically squeezed rodney mcgruder out of the heat to get them under the tax line this doesn't quite do it but it gets them pretty dang close and why it's so surprising is because Tyler Johnson has this gigantic salary. He actually 
does get at least slightly more with a trade bonus because of the way this deal happened. Kudos to him and his representation, and I guess Sean Marks for facilitating in that getting him a trade bonus. Two of the bad offer sheets that Brooklyn signed got traded on the same day, so that's pretty exciting. And that's a, you know, so seeing Tyler Johnson get moved, I mean, he's been an important part of what Heat are doing, but also because he's a fascinating fit, and I mean that in a largely positive way, with Devin Booker. Yeah, he's the type of guy we've been talking about next to Booker. Athletic, good transition player, can hit the spot up shot. Maybe you don't, not the greatest pick and roll guy, but could attack a close out and can finish at the rim okay and, and can shoot the ball. And he's been in the high 30s most of his career. You know, I think he's a 37, 38% type of guy. So yeah, that is a pretty good fit next to Booker. In similar fashion to what we talked about with the Bulls, where their three position was a complete tire fire, same thing here with Phoenix. They've just had an absolute disaster at the point guard position this year. That's why this point booker thing has been so relatively successful, but there's a question of whether that's really where you want him to be long-term. And and Johnson can run things well enough that he can at least throw passes to Booker coming off of screens if they want to use Booker off ball a little bit more, maybe run a secondary pick and roll as well and most importantly can actually guard the other team's point guard pretty well now he's struggled to stay healthy with a variety of maladies the cost to phoenix though minimal for this year i mean the no real opportunity cost to taking on ellington ellington is reportedly going to get bought out with okc potentially a suitor although i'm sure he will have no shortage there and maybe suitors who would be willing to give him additional cash as well though we'll see you know how the negotiations between he and phoenix go to get out of things if phoenix finds out that he's gonna be getting more cash they'll want to take a chunk out of what he's already owed you would think and then ryan anderson so it's really pretty much salary neutral for this year with both these teams other than how the heat are able to get very close to being out of the tax but as far as the suns are concerned you know it doesn't really change anything about this year next year though they swap johnson's 19.2 million for a lower number than anderson would have made overall but anderson had 15.6 million guaranteed you remember he reduced his guarantee to be the same amount that brandon knight was supposed to be making as part of that trade anderson now of course uh, with the heat and there was talk that maybe the suns could stretch anderson get to having more caps they could still in theory do that with tyler johnson if they find some great fit in free agency if they wanted to stretch johnson they could do that and open up maybe close to 20 million space depending on where they're at in terms of the draft pick where they're at in terms of kelly Oubre's restricted free agency so there's not a huge cost here to the suns i mean they take on an extra four million in salary but for someone who's going to help them a lot more so they probably just see it as anderson wasn't going to help us and he only anderson only would have cost the 15.6 million had they waived him if they keep him on the roster he actually would have cost more than johnson so i think this probably makes sense for the suns so would you say that i mean this is they probably are better as a result of this move in better shape i would say that they are in better shape my only real significant criticism of them in this is that i think they probably could have squeezed miami harder i mean they getting them that much savings it doesn't matter as much to the suns as it does to miami so maybe you get something the problem with miami is that they're very asset poor you know they have all these outstanding obligations you're obviously not going to get a first for this kind of a trade and you know fighting holding out for a second might not be enough here and they do get materially better and without it miami doesn't have many seconds there are another tax teams that is yeah uh, they don't and and so for phoenix also getting a year plus with tyler johnson after that he's an he's an unrestricted free agent you can wipe that off the books they still have some spending flexibility at that juncture i still you know this ties in with the idea that i had for them for a while ago that it would have been smart for them to take on 2019-20 salary just because they had like tyson chandler and austin rivers and we'll talk about another deal that happened in this where a team got a first round pick for not taking on that much money for that year they still would have been able to use the mid-level exception they wouldn't have gone into the tax or anything like that it would help even though they have a, a ton of young guys you still want to get as many bites at the apple as you can and so this move in and of itself no problem with that it just it brings to light that and it's not this deal's fault so i'm not holding it against it but you know it was another reminder there because like i have have it with Kelly Oubre's hold that they're somewhere in the like $17 million range. But then remember, their draft pick is going to take a gigantic chunk out of that. So then you're kind of in the realm of mid-level exception biannual is basically the same amount of value depending on how you want to spend your money. But I really like Taylor Johnson there. I think it's a good fit. I, I'm happy with this trade from the Suns perspective. 
Yeah, Johnson will get a chance to, to play a little bit more of the Heat. Johnson was playing for them, but they have a lot of backcourt depth still. I mean, even losing Ellington, who had been playing as well, and and Johnson, they still got Dwayne Wade, who's going to play. They got Derek Jones, who's out with that double bone bruise in his knee as well. I don't think Anderson is going to play at all with Miami. I mean, maybe he could usurp Kelly Olenek, which would help keep Olenek from reaching playing time incentives that would increase his cap number for next year and, and increase their tax payment potentially for this year that him not making those incentives will actually make it a lot easier for the heat to avoid the tax this year they are 1.2 million dollars over the tax at, at this moment so they're probably not going to just dump Udonis Haslam on somebody and pay cash for it. Just uh, and he also actually has a, a no trade clause, uh, implied no trade if he wanted to exercise it. But they're just not going to do that to to Haslam. So it's unclear exactly what the next move would be. Maybe it's Derek Jones Jr. moving him. Wade, they're not going to move Magruder. If the, maybe they could try and get something for him next year, or get something for him as a restricted free agent. And if they could move him and not take anything back, that would get them out of the tax for now. But they'd still have to be really careful. I think they'd only have about four hundred thousand dollars in terms of maneuvering and they're also limited in terms of signing 10 days because if they go under i think it's 13 roster slots then you can only sign one 10 day at a time the union doesn't want them just signing a bunch of 10 days and avoiding a tax payment which is exactly what they try to do here so they might have to move even more than magruder still and i'm not sure what the next move is to get them under the tax they may end up just being stuck paying like the 1.1 million which is pretty hilarious they might want to run up another year on the repeater tax but i'm just not sure what the obvious move here is unless it's a much bigger one where you're getting off of an Olenek or Deion Waiters or James Johnson and those will be extremely difficult to move all those players having eight figures if not more than you know between 10 and 15 million dollars a year for two more years after this one now. It's possible that some of the sting will come out of this just because this might be Miami's last year in the taxi that they do have these big player options for now they don't have Tower Johnson but they still have Goran Dragic and Hassan Whiteside. My you know basic estimate is that Miami is about six million over the tax line for next year, counting Ryan Anderson at his partial guarantee, counting Rodney Magruder's hold, and then vet minimums for the extra spots. Six million sounds like a lot, but there are, there are ways to, yeah. to get under that. I mean, you could and stretch. then throw in a draft pick too. You're probably at more like ten million even now. Now if they waive Anderson, yeah, then, then, the, then and that's that's really where I'm getting with this is that if you stretch him or maybe you find a trade partner or something like that, then there are ways to do that and then in 2020 21 when all of those big money things expire assuming they're still on the books then you're probably they're probably going to function as an under the cap team at that juncture another option that miami could and probably will consider next year if they're you know in that kind of close area would be moving one of the sour 17s that they have because they signed all those guys a year later and even though they have multiple years remaining at that point it'll be a more palatable contract you know maybe they can find a taker for james johnson Dion waiters or kelly Olenek. let's look at sac Sacramento now we can start with their portion of this three-way deal with Cleveland and Houston they traded Iman Shumpert who was making 11 million this season and whom they traded for is basically dead salary and it has had a renaissance this year it was their starting small forward although really more of a, a shooting guard in terms of his size Shumpert ended up in Houston and Sacramento got back Alec Burks from Cleveland pretty much salary neutral there and then so they maintained their about 10 million or so in cap space and then they also got Houston's 2020 second rounder but that is the lesser of Houston's and Golden State's which is going to be Golden State and it's going to be probably either number 29 or number 30 in that second round so pretty much close to worthless there I don't think that was amazing value but then in theory they made up for it by and I don't think Burks is really going to help them much I mean he's more of an on-ball guy I mean they seem to have this obsession with these kind of guys witnessing the Zach Levine offer sheet but they already got healed they already got Bogdanovich maybe Burks will play for them a little bit off the bench now because they also moved on from Justin Jackson they don't necessarily have a ton of twos on the roster anymore but I thought they could have gotten better value for the downgrade from Shumpert to Burks in a vacuum but then they pick up Harrison Barnes in a trade for Zach Randolph and the aforementioned Justin Jackson going to Dallas Barnes 
26 million this year assuming his eight percent trade bonus is paid out and then 25 million next year in a player option which you know we'll see if sacramento can convince him to stay and either opt in get another long-term deal there or maybe he just opts out and leaves if he doesn't like it there this had been rumored for a long time vivek loves anyone who has anything remotely to do with the warriors that he was a minority owner of before he bought the kings in 2013 the kings needed a true three is that harrison Barnes? probably not i I mean barnes is not as good of a player i think as some people think because his points per game got higher when he would go and he got to dallas but it came with a lot more shots we have seen certain players get thrown into our mentions a lot of hey why aren't you talking about player x doing a good game if you ever look at their point total and don't look at their shot total it might give you a little bit of a distorted view of how much efficiency how much value they're providing on the offensive end harrison barnes has become that even though he's shooting 39 percent from three so far this year that has yeah, i mean it hasn't come at the expense but it has coincided with he's 42 percent from two this year yeah that's a and that's awful and it is reasonable to deduce that playing with De'Aaron Fox and reducing just because of the structure of the Kings that reducing his usage could improve his efficiency but you know he was playing with Luca before and Luca creates good shots for Harrison that's probably part of why he was shooting so well from three and Barnes you know another guy like Otto Porter who's not that defensive difference maker he can be a functional piece I like I personally think like Barnes better defensively than Porter but you know it's not I, I don't I don't think of it as a massive difference between the two so I don't think he's the answer there one thing that I do like about Barnes fit with the Kings is that depending on how they see their front court rotation shaking out over the next couple of years, Barnes sliding to the four in certain lineups could be useful yes. for them. They tr- I, I could imagine Dave Yeager trusting him more than Nemanja Bialica, who often doesn't play in crunch time. He's, you know, Barnes is more stout defensively. He can space the four teams, respect his ability to shoot jump shots as long as it's not mid-June. And that can work well for Sacramento and they still need to find an answer at the three, but maybe they, I, I could, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they start closing games with Fox healed, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Barnes, and Willie Cauley-Stein, or Marvin Bagley, or whichever big is playing best. And that's useful for them, for sure. I'd be interested to see if they just start that way. I mean, maybe they want to just still bring Bogdan off the bench, but why not just start Harrison at at the four, get better defensively compared to Bielitsa? I mean, I think if Harrison is used as more of a floor spacer, and then you know, he's not a defensive stopper at the three or the four, but certainly has more size to guard at the four. He's a, a versatile switch guy who can at least hold his own in most matchups. Again, you don't want him, much like Otto Porter, you don't want him to be your number one option as a defender on the wing, but he's someone who can be a part of a quality defense. So he's, he may be overstretched there. It's really interesting to think about whether and also i guess i i'll say this too i think barnes his isolation ability could be useful in sacramento which has a really bad half court offense you know they're so reliant on transition and so barnes could do some more of that one three pick and roll stuff one four pick and roll stuff get the switch try to go to work that he'll have decent shooters around him now you know that at least gives them more of an option where dallas had kind of gone away from that after having to go to that probably more than they would have liked the last couple of years but you know and maybe that can put barnes back in his comfort zone a little bit more attacking smaller players or letting De'Aaron fox get downhill fox is much more dynamic than anyone he's had as a point guard picked and roll partner these last couple of years so that just giving sacramento someone who can score in an iso which they just didn't have on this team actually i think it could be useful for them at times just to you know i don't know if barnes is going to be efficient for them in that role but he's still a better option to just you know create a tough mid-ranger at the end of the shot clock if they don't get anything immediately in transition so i like him in that aspect what do you think of the idea that they should have tried to trade for Otto porter and said and done a similar deal like this i mean they certainly could have given up a better package than and provided way more salary relief for washington as well now porter is under contract for another year but he also can't just leave after one year uh in sacramento so should they just try to do a similar deal for porter instead and maybe it wasn't there but you would think it would have been i like this deal better for sacramento because it it lines up with the idea that it's going to be hard for them a 
to spend all the money they had, but also just to really entice free agents to even take like more money, you know, to go there to go there this offseason. It's just too early in the process. But maybe in 2020, they're there. And so if Harrison Barnes opts out, okay, you can go in other directions, you can do it. And if he opts in, then you get a year to evaluate, you get to see if a player like Harrison Barnes, or maybe Harrison Barnes specifically is a fit at a depth piece, not much of an opportunity cost. So you have that with Otto Porter, it's just a much bigger thing. And you have to you have multiple years, you know, you have that that player option at the end of it. And I think a good way of describing the difference between these two guys is that yes, the dollar amounts are different. But we're talking openly about the possibility that Harrison Barnes declines his option and Otto Porter gets the voice. Like that's a pretty big difference between these two guys and Otto Porter's contract runs a year longer. Barnes. That's interesting. Uh, You know, I'm not sure that Barnes is better than Porter though. I think if Barnes. Yeah, but he makes less money. I mean. Also Porter. Yeah. I mean, a little bit, not that much less. Um, Also Porter will be a free agent in the summer of 2020 when there's, you know, it's going to be an even more lucrative market in theory for the players. That's a tough call. I mean, certainly on off metrics would much prefer Porter, I think over the last few years yeah um but but you know i do think that adding that isolation scoring ability is something that sacramento does need i think i like porter's defense a little bit better unless you're asking him to really switch against larger players so i don't know it's a tough call i mean it, I, it is a tough yeah. call to be sure and and that's why for me i defer to the contract structure and since i think both guys are negative i, I think both guys are overpaid then i'll go with the guy who's overpaid for a shorter period of time well, well let me ask you this would you rather have just taken that same houston pick that you know that second rounder that's going to be terrible and then we'll get into the rest of this in a second but that first rounder that houston sent to the Cavs. Would you have rather just taken Brandon Knight for next year and taken that Houston first rounder and traded Shumpert just straight up for him? They Maybe probably would. They pr- take back they, Chris for this year too. They and, probably and, wouldn't have even needed to trade Shumpert. I mean, they could have structured that. I mean, maybe I'm sure Houston wanted him, but. I, I mean, I think they would have given yeah. up a first to get off of Brandon Knight anyway. Yeah, well, and, and well, Houston would have wanted someone who can play a little bit. That makes it a little bit more sure. probable for uh, to dealing with yeah. the, uh, but, not being too obvious and dealing with the horrible hindrance but, of the but gener- generally, to answer your question, I think I probably would have taken the pick because if Barnes opts in, I mean, they're, they're still going to have enough space that they could take him next year anyway. Like they, they could have just skipped it for this season. And yeah, they get a benefit having Harrison Barnes for this season, having Otto Porter if they had done that. So yeah, I mean, in Houston, they're not, it's not the 30th pick though. I mean, we don't know exactly where they're going to fall in the hierarchy, but there's some value there. I mean, so let's say right now one, that would be the 24th pick in the draft. Yeah. I like the, I like the 24th pick in the draft, you know, and night, not the, not the worst thing in the world. He can even be a vessel if they wanted to take on different money or something like that. So yeah, I think I would have gone in that direction, but it's a justifiable choice. I I probably would have gone the other way just because I'm lower on Barnes and Porter, but I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. All that's interesting to think of. We'll see how Barnes looks there. I, I think it's going to be very interesting. This does kind of smack of a little bit of a fact. Hey, I really like this guy. Uh, bring this guy in. For Houston, big, big, big time luxury tax savings this season and then next season getting off of that 15.6 million from night they give up the first rounder of course to do that this is ultimately though yet another instance of Tillman Fertitta cheaping out because if they were willing to take on someone who had salary for next year if they just decided hey we'll deal with Knight or we'll just stretch him next year instead it seems very clear to me that they were not willing to take on any money for next year like we talked about maybe with Kent Bazemore who I think is a clearly better player than Shumpert Jumper will be in their rotation. I think he can help. He's got a lot of experience playing against the Warriors in the playoffs too. So that there's that. And, you know, a lot of his offensive values depend on making the three ball, which he's done this year. Other times in his career, he hasn't. And he's certainly a health risk, a load management risk as well with all the lower body injuries he's had over the years. But yeah, what could have been out there for Houston if they'd been willing to actually throw a first rounder into the mix and not used it instead to offload Knight's salary for last year. We'll never know the answer to that question, but it probably could have been someone who would uh, have really, really helped them in the West playoffs this year. But that, uh, unfortunately, is not as much of a priority as Tillman Fertitta making his debt service payments. 
They also maybe could have gotten somebody who's forward-sized, which is very important for the teams they're going to be facing off against in the playoffs, most notably the Warriors, but various teams, and that's their biggest weakness. You know, they, they added Austin Rivers, they have Chris Paul and James Harden, they, they're they decent, and Eric Gordon, of course, who's stronger than his height, you know, he, I think he has greater functional size, but those real forward-sized guys, and Bob Mute's had a lost season, but they don't have him, they don't have Trevor Reza. and actually, th- this is worth noting in the Rocket section, I hadn't seen this until we were already recording. But during the Bonanza, Woj tweeted out something that I think is very notable for the Rockets in particular. And he said that Trevor Reza is enthusiastic about re-signing with Washington. And to me, that has a significance for the Rockets because if he's telling them that, or he's selling that publicly, they're not going to buy him out. And that means he's not going to be available. Maybe he would have gone to the Lakers, maybe he would have gone wherever. But he is, if, if he's giving those indications, he's not going to hit the buyout market. And that's one other guy that the Rockets can't get. Yeah. And we talked about if Ariza is enthusiastic about resigning with Washington, now Ariza at age 34, if he can get some years from Washington, uh, that may be very, very interesting to him. He clearly went with the money this season, although, you know, who knows what other offers were available to him but going to phoenix wasn't exactly uh the win now choice for trevor Reza. for cleveland again we've been praising dan gilbert for this so i'll continue to do so being willing to take on money although they are in some danger of being in the tax next year they will likely move on from jr smith because they are so close to the tax for next year i think they now might as well just buy him out and maybe see if they can get off off of some of that 3.9 million for next year in the buyout just let have him give that up and in theory he'll make it up he probably won't but maybe you could sell him on that and you pick up that houston pick we'll see how good that ends up being but you know this is just a, another piece of financial information if they really get stuck in the tax they could stretch night or uh you know make a cost-cutting move in the summer but they've kind of done their work now i mean they are capped out for next year also but they've picked up a first round pick from the box so that's quite into the future now and that 2019 pick from houston also they picked up a ton of seconds in all these transactions as well so they they are really b- have been the team willing to play the asset game other teams with 2019 cap space that they could have sacrificed were not willing to do that and so good job by the cleveland cavaliers kind of zigging when the rest of the market is zagging a lot of teams are not valuing first round picks as much it, it seems like lately so nice work there for the Cavs. i don't have a ton more to say on that i mean i don't i don't see knight really playing for them at all i could even see him getting bought out and you know it, it seems like his career may be kind of close to over which is a shame because you know he's another one of these guys who is looking like he's going to be a good player at like age 24 had one really bad year in phoenix and then you know he's had two injury wrecked years since then and he might be done or close to it there could be a parallel with johnny flynn as a guy who is remembered for the failures but not remembered that injuries were such a big part of it and that's unfortunate i i disagree with you a little bit in terms of cleveland's urgency to do something with jr smith just because they have guys tristan thompson jordan clarkson among them that maybe they could trade them for a worse player with a cheaper contract like they could especially if the Cavs are going to suck next year and i fully expect that they will so there are other ways that they could maneuver this yeah. and well, well the only purpose of maybe i wasn't clear but the only purpose of not waving smith now would be to hold on to him and then trade his non-guaranteed salary because he's an old cba contract for more guaranteed salary so i mean if you think they can open up 15 million below the luxury tax or you know i guess it would be more like 14 million or so below the luxury tax to take on guaranteed salary for next year in the form of trading away smith then yeah but i think that seems very unrealistic to me but if you won't take a good buyout for you then you know maybe uh, you hold on to him. Yeah, and, and that's true. Also, if he, he the value added in terms of the extra money isn't isn't clearly as it isn't there as much, especially now that they also added another first round pick, which is a roster spot and guaranteed salary for next year, all those sorts of things. So. Yeah, I mean, for Cleveland, I think this is a good piece of business along with the other ones they've done. I've, ownership is a competitive advantage. I think that Dan Gilbert was, you know, there are a lot of negatives in terms of what he does, the way he treats his front office. And I mean, you could, there are a million things with the LeBron thing, but his willingness to spend money is really bearing fruit for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you and I have talked at length, and this, there's another really good example of this here with the Washington Wizards, where these teams that aren't willing to spend or that aren't willing to spend on the margin really do get hurt and you know with with washington that was not using the mid-level exception for a couple years when they were actually a good team and that player could have helped them dan gilbert has these flaws and those flaws are not covered over they're not you know 
it's it's not solid firm foundation because he's willing to spend but it helps a couple other notes uh, from this trade the recently acquired nick stauskas and wade baldwin both of whom were on minimum contracts so could just be traded out even outside the framework of this deal if they wanted to those guys had to go to the rockets to help cleveland avoid the tax still the rockets are nearly out of cash they've only got about 500k left but that would be enough to just pay the salary of one of stauskas or baldwin for another team but you know another team probably isn't going to just take him on those guys on at revenue neutral and you know after tomorrow they can't be traded again so be interesting to see whether they can get move on from those guys they also might try to move on from nene although he makes 3.8 million for next year as well but they could get out of the tax entirely if they could get off of those guys you also could see maybe the eric murphy like waiver late and then someone just claims him and pays his salary for a day and takes him off of houston's books and and saves them some money you would imagine though that they will be desperately trying to get out of the tax this year if at all they can and whether it's stauskas baldwin or nene those are really the only guys now i think that would make much sense for them to move uh, to try and save uh, that cash but you know houston has already said what how much did they save for this year oh i don't have the number yet but it's, it's it's a lot Oh, 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 this move, they saved 6.3, I believe. Yeah, and so Houston now, yeah, I've got them at 3.8 million into the tax. So yeah, it, it, they they may not be able to get out of it. Yeah, and especially because remember, they have a portion of their mid-level exception and they might need to use that to get better guys in buyouts and all that. I don't think yeah. they're going to get under this year, but they can they can work their way under for next year and that would be pretty significant and moving. And then remember, they don't have any new budding expenses coming up in 2020-21 either. So if they get under next year it's probably going to bode well for them staying under the following year when pj tucker is partially guaranteed eric gordon expires and even if they bring him back it could very well be for less money so i mean the the rockets financial future is pretty clear that came at a very specific consequence in terms of their team being better but if you know a general manager's job is to keep the owner happy and if the owner gave that directive then that's what you work with so i mean that's not daryl murray's fault well, at least now when Fertitta said, hey, if we're paying this much luxury tax and we're not competing for a championship, he tongue-in-cheek said uh, that, you know, he should find a new general manager. Well, now they're not really paying much luxury tax, so uh, even if they don't contend for a championship, uh, you can't fire him still. Um, but yeah, it seems pretty unlikely they'll be able to get out of the tax for this year. The Mavs side of this, moving on from Barnes, I like this for them a lot. Barnes was not really part of their future. That $25 million next year could be be used now because they they can get to max space for a zero to six year free agent or maybe a restricted free agent offer sheet if they wanted to move dwight powell or stretch him move on from justin jackson that could get them to a seven to nine year max if they wanted it and the dwight powell stretch actually could get them to even you know the kevin durant level of 10 plus year max doesn't seem like that sort of player is going to go there they could stretch courtney lee as well potentially if they really had a great signing that they could make they might be an interesting tobias harris destination actually uh you know or jimmy butler demarcus cousins might be an interesting fit there as well and this all includes them keeping the cap hold of chris Stapps porzingis on the books as a restricted free agent so i think especially because they could get a long-term piece part of why we didn't like the porzingis trade as much for them was taking them out of the cap space derby this year now they are back into that by moving barnes and that player option which it seemed like he was likely to opt into and so i i think that they will be an interesting team in free agency they could also just play the asset game as well they have a 21 million dollar trade exception now with this deal because they already had a trade exception from the porzingis deal that was big enough to take in the sacramento guys and so then by sending out barnes they're able to get this 21 million dollar trade exception by far the largest in nba history that uh that got me a little weak in the knees just thinking about how awesome that is what a historic moment this is for us cap dorks so yeah i i really like this one and, and even to get justin jackson he could be someone who could be a rotation player for them i don't think he's gonna be good enough defensively to be a starter but he's a player who can work off the ball a little bit maybe give a little offense on the second unit and hopefully develop for them did you find it strange that the team that ended up benefiting financially from sacramento's cap space was a team that didn't particularly have an interest in financial 
potentially benefiting from Sacramento's cap space? I mean, I don't think Mark Cuban cares. You know that they they saved money in this deal for this season. Not that big a not that big of a thing for the Dallas Mavericks in particular. And another just weird component that ended up happening, kind of coming out of nowhere these last two days, is that now there are a couple of teams that have the financial wherewithal to take on money. It would pretty much have to be for this year, with an exception that is almost definitely going to be wiped away. And that I mean, so not only does Dallas have the Gigantor one from the Harrison Barnes trade, but the LA Clippers have one from the Tobias Harris trade. Both of those we expect to wash away on July 1st or damn close to it. So they could take on an expiring contract. Alex Abrinas would be an option here, but they're only really going to do that if they get an asset that's worthwhile. So maybe if a team had been a little bit more patient and not been as desperate to get out a little bit earlier, they could have been bailed out here. But there aren't really that many teams that are hankering for that with the specific expiring money only caveat that both those teams would put on it. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, maybe Dallas could be a team that would be willing to take on some money even for 2019. They can, you know, with that $21 million trade exception, they can help just about anybody get out of the tax, frankly, uh, and just take on some money. They also waived solid measure as a precursor for that two to one deal occurring. And I think measure actually is a guy that's a, a center poor team. I, if Philly hadn't gotten Boban, I would have thought they should take a, a brief look at measure just as a backup center room protector foul machine and the other reason this is good for dallas is 2019 cap space in addition to the fact that that 2020 free agent class isn't that good and there's gonna be a ton of money it's more valuable to dallas because jorian finney smith and maxi kleba who are restricted free agents both have cap holds under two million dollars which means that they can hold on to those cap holds use their cap space and then re-sign those guys those guys presumably will be on larger contracts so if you go into 2020 then that cap space kind of gets vaporized so that's another small advantage of doing it this way so i I really like this i I think this the porzingis move looks better in light of having made this move as well here yeah uh, i hadn't really thought of it that way but yeah that 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 does it does piece it together to to a more cogent theory of the mavericks 2019 offseason now they have to get somebody to take their money and we'll we'll see who that'll be and what's so crazy about it is before they got porzingis a lot of the guys you could think you know sub max were centers demarcus cousins had been you know has been linked to the mavericks in prior years they they had deandre jordan beforehand and now depending on how rick carlisle and the front office sees porzingis maybe they're not as interested in a guy like that yeah and another reason i was lower on that deal was we wondered another reason why that 2019 cap space matters because if porzingis gets a max contract for 27 million this offseason his cap holds only 17 so that's another i mean between kleba porzingis and finney smith you know those guys could be making a combined 20 million dollars more than their cap holds in salary by the time 2020 rolls around so they really can get more use out of that space this summer we wondered where is that third piece going to come from for the mavericks and now having done this deal and i think they probably had a pretty damn good idea that this deal was coming when they made the porzingis deal now you have the mechanism to get a decent third piece and so if porzingis comes back healthy Doncic, another guy who's probably gonna be overpaid but you know it's gonna be a 30 million dollar year player get some role players in finney smith and Kleba, you still got Dwight Powell as the backup center. Courtney Lee and Hardaway are, you know, okay rotation guards. So yeah, now, now you might be a playoff team next year. Uh, you know, much depends, of course, uh, on how Porzingis comes back. Zach Randolph almost certainly will be bought out uh, of his $12 million or so this year. And be interesting to see whether he lands with the playoff team. I don't think he can really contribute anymore, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, last thing here, the Sixers acquired Malachi Richardson and got a 2022 second round pick and the draft rights to Amir Preldzic in exchange for cash with the Raptors. Raptors save about $5 million in luxury taxes, so good on them. Richardson, you'd imagine, will likely be waived as the Sixers try to open up more roster spots for guys who can help them more uh, than Richardson can. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's left to be done here in terms of trades for tomorrow here at 12.40 a.m. Pacific time now? Let's do it, because part of what's going on here, and then the place to start here, is the first name in the in the alphabet the Atlanta Hawks like the guys who don't really provide much of a purpose on their current team but could help somebody else and so they're logical buyout candidates if they don't get traded but players who a trade makes sense 
And yeah. guys I think of as being too good to just get bought out, who could at least should, should be able to garner a second, you would think. That list to be starts with the Hawks, with Jeremy Lin and Dwayne Dedman. Both those guys could be, they're better to me, more consistent rotation players in the regular season than the playoffs, but they still provide a lot of value. They could help, they could help various different teams. So I think they're at the head of this list. Could also mention, oh, and also Nikola Mirotic. I mean, especially if the Pelicans oh, sure. are, are not treating it this year. He is, he's better. I mean, he's probably the best player that there's no real reason, you know, especially considering there isn't the emotional tie with Marcus Gasol and, and Mike Conley. You know, there's a there's a theory there that's a little bit outside of, you know, our our purview with the emotional connection there. But so I guess he's the headliner. But then there, there are a bunch of other guys that you, you could imagine helping another team and that there's no reason for the, their current squad to hold out from trading them. Yeah, you can throw other Pels players, Julius Randle, although there's a report that they want to keep Randle around and re-sign him because he loves the coaching staff and the training staff. The first person ever to like the Pels training staff, I guess. Um, also, Alfred Payton is someone you would think that they wouldn't have much reason to hold on to. Markeith Morris, we mentioned him. Uh, Kent Bazemore is someone you think the Hawks would be willing to trade to take on long-term salary. Robin Lopez in Chicago, I think he's just going to get bought out. Don't see any team wanting to take him on. The Clippers actually now have a $9.8 million trade exception. They could also get into the salary dump derby should they want to. And then, of course, Memphis. Uh, Marcus Gasol. Mike Conley, there's a report today that Conley doesn't want to be in Utah. This Gasol-Charlotte thing hasn't happened yet, although there's a report that Gasol, people close to him, expect him to be moved to Charlotte, but that hasn't happened yet because they're still trying to figure out who those expiring contracts are going to be. Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer reported that basically the exact trade we had in the mock trade deadline uh, was one that had been bandied about, but that they were haggling over what the protection was going to be on that pick, and if Charlotte doesn't make the playoffs, you know that could be a top 10 pick, so that protection is going to matter a lot. And then especially going forward into next year charlotte if kemba walker leaves could be awful so that would matter a lot too charlotte you know where is the sweet spot for that pick to convey this year for sure but also not keep you out of a a top 10 pick and then if you're memphis you're like well we're not going to let this roll over forever and become two second rounders the same thing feldman and i were fighting about in the the mock trade deadline jamichael green justin holiday garrett temple all guys of course uh, who kind of need to get moved and it does seem like much as in the the mock trade deadline who are the real buyers for these teams philly needs more i still think portland it could be a, a team that's willing to throw in a first rounder somewhere other than that though there aren't any real strong buyers out there maybe you could say the lakers but they're not going to throw in a first rounder so is some of these teams are going to be left with crappy seconds or nothing and just hold on to these guys well memphis has no experience getting nothing for guys that are going to leave in free agency so (laughs) all right and and, and actually that is i mean one crazy thing about this the parallel with the mock off season and everything notwithstanding is that is the idea that theoretically let's say memphis was willing to take the exact offer that cleveland did they trading them garrett temple and jermichael green would have been i think that would have turned out pretty damn well for memphis if they, especially considering they might end up moving one of their established veterans so the you know adding 13 million or 15 whatever it would have been for next year isn't that big a deal maybe houston preferred amon shumpert to those guys but that would kind of surprise me considering well it would be think two of how much for- think of how much cheaper shumpert is he could really save them some tax money here compared yeah. to those two guys together yeah all right that's that's enough i i'm just the houston thing is so annoying to me with you know a team that is could have been a championship contender maybe they still kind of are we'll see what they end up doing but i mean it seems like they're feels like they're done now so and they don't have any other expiring salary to move that's not uh, something that they're really relying on um all right that'll do it here we'll be back tomorrow to wrap up all the action give you some winners and losers and uh of course a five-hour breakdown of kevin durant's press conference today talk to you all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.